Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the late April edition of Three Squares. We are so glad that you decided to spend a little time with us either this afternoon or wherever it's convenient for you to listen on your podcast platform of choice. I'm the 3D printed AI powered version of Charlie Arnott, and I'm pleased to be here with you today. We build trust in food through the Center for Food Integrity and Look East. My co-hosts, Susan Schwally and Kevin Ryan. And I'm Susan Schwally. I'm actually going to admit I'm here live in person um, today, and I am, uh, I lead the food and beverage consumption practice for Circana, where we are the world's leading advisor on the complexity of consumer behavior. Ooh. And I'm Kevin Ryan, um, CEO of Malachite Strategy and Research, helping companies with the front end of innovation and strategy. And I might be a large language model. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Good happen. The nice part about it is your <laughs> feedback will help improve our performance. Right. So continue to send us information right? and we'll continue to get better. Actually, right. I think our whole podcast is probably being fed into a large language model. If I have something, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You're- just like Drake in the weekend, guys. Drake in the weekend. That's right. That's Take right. Song out. There we go. Okay. Well, we have a very special guest today, Susan. I'm I'm very Dude. excited. The the credentials of our guest are really impressive. Uh, Do I get found... to guess? Is this like Smartless, Charlie? It is. It is, it is. Okay. It give is. me some clues. So, so I'm going to give you some clues. This this our guest founded his own strategy and research company focusing on CPG retail and food service focused insights previously. now, I mean, the, the history, it, it's, it's hard to believe that all of this could have been done by a single individual, uh, was global strategic planner at Amazon overseeing the corporate brand and advertising strategies oh. for global prime and non-prime, right? And if that wasn't enough, He directed strategy and innovation at General Mills for 15 years, led corporate and brand initiatives to discover new opportunities globally, (laughs) wrote a cookbook when he was, I don't know, 15 or so, Really, used to give private cooking lessons and was a chef at a catering business. Uh, He also sent out a remarkable monthly newsletter. Actually, it's bi-monthly, so that's twice a month, if if my math is correct. Uh, Critically acclaimed, and it's really outstanding. If you don't subscribe to it yet, we would encourage you to. It's called Culture Matters. Uh, He also is a host of an industry-leading podcast, has a master's and a PhD in food science, and a master's in food anthropology, which I think is particularly intriguing, and an executive MBA certificate from Minnesota's Carlson School of Business. So shall we, shall we unveil? Yeah, I, well, I'm intrigued. (laughs) You really want to meet this person, don't you? It's our very own Kevin Ryan. It is Kevin Ryan. Yes. (laughs) We're so excited. And we've talked about this over the last, no wonder I'm tired after like a year and a half. We've been talking about it over a year and a half because there's so much good stuff in culture matters. And, uh, you know, we text back and forth about it regularly in terms of, well, that was great. What'd you think about this topic? What'd you think about that topic? And yeah. Kevin always is a wealth of information. So we thought today what we would do is just dig into one of those recent editions of Culture Matters 
and talk about a few of the issues. We, we don't have time to get to everything that he writes about in a single issue. So if you've not yet subscribed, Culture Matters is the newsletter. How do they, how do they subscribe, Kevin? Uh, you can Google it. It's probably okay. easier to Google it and, and it'll probably take you to my website and you can sign up there. Okay. But if you're in the food industry in any way, um, it's one of those kind of must read insight pieces. So several different, uh, topics that he wrote about in the most recent edition, why heat is hot, the end of free money, what that means to, uh, investment in innovation. And it's a really interesting kind of tale of two worlds when you think about the end of free money and what's going on with innovation. And then something that we talked about earlier this week, kind of among the three of us, is the 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 kind of the the we're on the precipice perhaps of some new grocery wars. So we'll yep. talk about what's driving that and what it might mean for consumers and for the industry as well. So we'll kick that off and then of course we will have the quiz, which is everyone's favorite. Oh so, yes. uh, we'll, I'm we'll go ahead Whatever. So we'll go ahead and get started right now. We'll kick off with why heat is hot. And Kevin, you gave us several different examples, which you always do, which I thought are really fascinating. So tell us about what you're kind of seeing. And then I guess, you know, why, why, what, what, what's happening here? Why are we seeing everybody from SpaghettiOs to uh, coffee, to beverages, to Jack's links engage in more hot food? Yeah. I mean, I just find it interesting because I mean I'm always looking at what's being launched and every everything and you know we're all seeing hot food coming out you know more and more spicy food, and I think a lot of it I mean just to be very clear a lot of it is just a me too people are saying you know oh I really right. want to launch something like that, but there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of theories out there of why consumers want hot food whether or not it's you know, uh, culturally, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a much larger Hispanic component in the United States. And so, of course, that might have part of it, or it might be have something to do with uh, machismo. You know, there's been that theory pushed out there. But I don't think any of them really hold enough water, so to speak, when you look at something like SpaghettiOs and Frank's uh, Red Hot, you know, type thing, well, that doesn't have anything to do with either of those theories. So, so the one that I think about, and of course, this is just me pontificating is, is the idea that, you know, as we see more consumers talking about anxiety and, and stress, there has been research that shows that spiciness is an adaptogen, meaning it helps with anxiety, it, it actually lifts your it causes endorphins, it causes a rush of endorphins. And you know, you you do feel a little bit better. I don't know about you, I feel a little bit better when I'm after eating something a little spicy, it kind of wakes you up, kind of gives you a little bit of a boost. So it's possible. And I think that's just an intriguing idea is, is that maybe all this talk about adaptogens, maybe we have one and it's already popular. We don't have need, well, we don't need, but we don't have to go all the way out and think about mushroom coffee. We have spicy SpaghettiOs. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about that, it's interesting. And Susan, I'd, I'd welcome any data that you have um, yeah. through Circana on this in terms of what people are not buying, buying or not buying. But some of this seems like it's kind of a, a natural line extension. And some seems like it's maybe pushing the envelope a little bit. Spaghetti goes, I got to say, it feels like one of those that's pushing the envelope a little bit, but who knows, right? I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I remember that as a kid, it was kind of the last, last resort, open a can, pour it in and hope somebody eats it. So I'm not sure making that hotter would help, but we'll we'll find out. But where do you see kind of, I mean, the, if you were to, to predict, are there specific categories or applications that you see as more likely to be successful than others? 
I mean, so first of all, Kevin, I, I love your perspective that, I mean, hot has been going on for a while. It just keeps reinventing it's, and it seems like there's always some new version from Asia coming over, mm -hmm. um, all the time. So I don't necessarily, I mean, compared to 30 or 40 years ago, I'd be willing to say there's more hot flavors out there, but over the last decade or so, um, I don't think so, but it is reinventing itself. So Charlie, there's a couple different ways that I, you know, I think it's being played out. One is, you know, a lot of times hot can be used to an extend a category or kind of um, build on nostalgia. So mm. I would suggest that both in the case of maybe SpaghettiOs, maybe Goldfish, who partnered with Frank's, that it's about extending up beyond childhood into adult flavor. Mm. Also, there's a lot of adults now, multi-generational, that have eaten those categories. Um so, you know, that brings them back into the fold or makes it be something that the whole family might um, enjoy. Um, there's also just some fun aspects of it. I think um, Frank's Red Hot, I mean, it's not the only one doing this, just did a partnership with a sneaker. I was trying to find it before we came on the show. Yeah. So there's there's some fun, like just cultural things that that happen there with some of these brands. But I do think overall, like, you know, Kevin said, it is a form of stimulation and across food, we're always looking for more variety and variety seeking and hot is just another version of that. And whether it's like an actual anxiety release or a dopamine kick or just something to keep your brain, you know, we're so constantly bombarded and stimulated. I think it just, it is more than just uh machismo or the portion of people that like hot. I, I, I love where you've gone with this, Kevin. Yeah. I like what you're saying though, about the, the reinvention in the sense for, I think about, um, take it to a completely different category. Like you think like Marvel or DC, if you think about the way, I mean, if you look at like DC back in the sixties, you know, Batman, Batman was campy. That's what everyone in the sixties grew up with Batman. And how did you make it applicable for people who grew up with them in the sixties, how did you make them applicable later as the, those kids got older? You made it dark. Yeah. You've got the dark night, right? If you think about a category that's as light as SpaghettiOs, how do you make it applicable as you get older? You have to do something new, another way of envisioning it. So that's another way I think to think about it is you had to reinvent it for another, and you couldn't just bring back SpaghettiOs. You know, you had to do something different to make it more adult. Maybe mm -hmm. hot is just more adult. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And of course, the combination of chilies and chocolate have been around for some time, mixture of yes. sweet and hot, a nice combination of flavors as well. And coffee. And just last night, what did I, uh, I had a um, bonfire, something Paloma, Paloma with hot. Mm -hmm. uh, so was it hot I mean, or smoky? Cocktails. It was smoky and there okay. was a little bit of hot. Was it mezcal? It was mezcal. Probably made with yeah. mezcal. Yeah. And then some salt and chilies around the ring with the Paloma sweet, uh, which was interesting. How was it? Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, nice. it was good. Nice. Excellent. Anybody have a favorite hot sauce that you, that you like? I don't know. I'm Sriracha. If I'm going to do it, I just don't like the vinegar base as much of, of like, of like a traditional Tabasco, but mm -hmm. I like Sriracha. It has, and the, the consistency of it. That's what I think I like about it is, is the consistency of it. It's a little bit thicker versus Tabasco, which is more water-like. Yeah. Right. Not a big fan of Tabasco. I like cilantro, which combines cilantro into a hot sauce. And so mm -hmm. if you were to think about a Louisiana hot sauce that also had cilantro in it, that would be how I would describe the flavor. Mm. 
I'm not a big hot sauce person. Really? No, if you I come like to a Kansas little bit of chili City, sprinkled in. Yeah. Um, I like a little, um, I like adobo. Yeah. Um, okay, I, that's like a thicker. Yeah, that's a little, yeah, that's, a little bit yeah. of, yeah. But yeah. The consistency does 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 matter to me as well. Yeah. I don't like the really thin, runny ones. Yeah. So if you come to Kansas City, you can go to a place called Harry's Country Club, which basically all the seating is is leftover linoleum kitchen tables that you could find at garage sales. Nice. Um, and when you place your order, they'll bring over a basket of assorted hot sauces. Yeah. So you get a chance to kind of rummage through them and try different flavors and see if you like them or not. So there you go. interesting to see how that one plays out. Okay, on to our next topic. And we're kind of going to do a, a mashup here. Uh, the end of free money. And Kevin, you and I have both heard the same thing from the venture capital community, and I'm sure others have as well, that mm. once the Fed started raising interest rates, the spigot dried up like overnight, boom, it was gone. Yeah. And so the VC funds are are struggling if they're still around or they've decided to go in different directions. But at the same time, we're seeing some really interesting, significant investment in automate automation, which makes some sense, but kind of goes against that initial grain. But it's it's not exactly venture capital. And then, how does all of that impact innovation in terms of how does the availability of capital play into effective innovation or the lack of innovation? So, love to get your take on how all those things are coming together and kind of the juxtaposition of the end of, of free money and what's happening with uh, additional investment in automation. Yeah. No, I mean, it is a fascinating to have lived. We've all lived through those eras. I mean, the idea that when interest was zero and money was basically free, that a lot of these companies, big and small, especially if you think of big tech companies, um, they weren't being held, their feet weren't being held to the fire in a sense for, for profit. It was for right. growth. Right. And that, you know, really supercharged a lot of these companies and also, you know, gave the opening for a lot of these venture capitals to, to lend money in a sense uh, and, and not really, you know, uh, need profit right away. They, they were okay with that. And of course that's changed. And so that's, you know, either pushed out a lot of these, you know, small uh, companies, or it's just the idea that, uh, now what we're seeing is a lot of the bigger, more established companies are now being, um, I think, applauding in the sense that they're now being held at the same standard as you know bigger companies. You know, right. so it's like the right. idea that Walmart and Amazon now are on similar footing. You know, because the idea is that they're both being held to profit, which goes to the automation piece. It's like at the end of the day, they have to make the profit, they have to make the ends meet, and so it's like, can we make um, our margins better by having automation? And so you're seeing this fascinating development of how we can, you know, save money as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's fascinating when you, when you think about automation as a as a cost savings. Not only that, but just when you think about the challenge of simply finding labor and yeah. the ability to find workers in so many areas of the food system. Um, you know, the, the investment in automation has been ongoing and maybe ramping up at this point. Yeah. And the thing that does to innovation, though, is we're not seeing as much far out innovation for a lot of them because it's be the risk is too high. So mm -hmm. you've seen a lot of the if you're familiar with H1, H2, H3, the Horizon 1, 2, and 3 levels of innovation, the way it's usually talked about, Horizon 3 being much further out, that's the stuff that's been cut because again, just like I was talking about before, um, that's the riskiest. That's going to be um, where, you know, if you do have free money, that's where you would have put it. And now you don't have it. So a lot more closer innovation, which 
you know, is good, but it's not good for the long term. You're not going to see category disruption and plat new platforms developed. I think that's kind of a scary thing on the horizon when it comes to and potential for you know um, for 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 startups that actually can get money to be able to do something. So, I don't know, Susan. What do you see? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've I, from our clients, we're seeing you know a lot of questions about really kind of sweating the data and really understanding opportunities across demand moments. Like, kind of what are the jobs that need to be done by certain occasions? Making sure they're fully penetrated across mm -hmm. all those moments when people are thinking about picking up a food or beverage. Um, I think what's interesting down the line is um, we're talking about automation, but at what point does harnessing technology and AI help speed up or make innovation less costly, investment intensive? So, I mean, there were some things done even prior to the pandemic where I know, for instance, like McCormick was partnering, I think it was with IBM and using AI and really helping with speeding up flavor, um, you know, development and innovation. Like at some point, where is that going to come into the mix and help out? Because kind of we lived through the model of the great recession coming out of that with the small brands really nipping at everyone, but that's kind of gone away, right? That's what we're talking about. So how do the big CPGs get back to this and do it more quickly and more effectively? And I, I just don't know what the, what the role of tech and AI is going to be in it. Yeah. I, I personally, I, I think, I think AI will be a big help when it comes to innovation. However, I think a lot Personally, I think right now what you're seeing is you have to separate how AI is being talked about into two streams. One is the PR side of AI, mm -hmm. right. and the other is how it's actually being used. I think a lot of companies talk about how they're using AI because it's cool, but when you really dig behind the scenes and you look, I think they're being very cautious because AI still is hallucinating. It's a BS machine. And so I wouldn't trust that with my output, you know? So right. I think that they're using it carefully to be able to do stuff. And when you look, a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of companies are saying, we developed this through AI. And for those of us behind the scenes that have seen it, it's like, well, we've seen those ideas before. Those ideas yeah. have been around, but I can see a future where it automates it enough or it speeds it up enough that it really does help them get through. Yeah. Faster. You know, the other thing is that ties to this grocery war piece, it touches on it, is we we were in our text chain, the three of us were talking about how much information some of the retailers mm. have um, about their shoppers. And some large CPGs also have amassed data lakes and a tremendous amount of information within themselves that they're bringing together. Or like Circana, we like provide a white room space to bring that in and host it. Um, and we're even collecting more and more real, you know, 360 view of the consumer. So I see that happening across the manufacturer side, the retailer side, and, you know, in the research world, and there's machine learning and AI coming. So there is going to be potentially more, that's not even great English, more, better, faster. <laughs> Can yeah. we harness it and analyze it? But I do think it's going to impact innovation. Although I Kevin, I got to believe that they still need you and Charlie and I to really make it come to life, right? Yes, that's, we're definitely, absolutely. Right now. We're going to hang at our least, hand at on At least that. for right now. now, at least for now. <laughs> at and least more for better, now. More, more better, faster works as long as you have a comma, right? Right. 
So the comma is important. Punctuation it, matters. It is. It's like time to eat children or time to eat children. Or pork the one you love. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Either of those are good examples. So Kevin, how do you see, I mean, if, if you were looking into your crystal ball, what do you think is going to be the most impactful way that AI will, will shape innovation? Ooh, this is good. Put them on the spot, Charlie. Oh boy. The most impactful way. I mean, I think it will augment the innovation process and do what has a lot of companies have been trying to do for a long time. You know, speed to market has always been the big push. And it really will, like right now, if you look at like companies like that are outside the food industry, like Boeing, they actually use AI to get themselves 60% of the way toward new engine manufacturing design. Wow. And that kind of stuff is, I think, going to happen in the food industry. It's going to be the sense of, uh, we have a history of uh, these soups or these mixes or whatever it may be, these chips or whatever. And so you could feed all of those formulations into an AI and it could spit out like this is a potential 60, 75% of the way formula or new development, and then let experienced developers and marketers and everything else take the rest of the way. That will really speed up. I think that'll be huge. Mm -hmm. And then going forward, um, you know, uh, shelf set, uh, you know, uh, costing, uh, do your planogram for you. I mean, you can see how that would just boom, boom. Well, help the consumer okay. shop. Absolutely. But what who, did you send it to me or did I say, I don't even know the thing where the guy went on chat GB, I think it was. Yeah. He went and said, feed my family of four easy meals right. with these food allergies. It came up with the menu and sent it to Instacart. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Instacart actually has that built in now. Yeah. So you can really see how that's going to, yeah, so I think we're going to see it from many different directions. Uh, and then internally, it'll go even backwards too. So you can see renovation and cost savings and stuff being an AI tool in a big way. Because there's so much, well, I would say maybe that's been cleaned up now, but in a lot of CPG, there used to be a lot more fat in the sense of, um you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of productivity that could be done. Now that that's been taken out now, but you could see that there still may be some possibilities with AI. Really interesting. I think I'm going to challenge Chat GPT and say I'd like a recipe that includes kimchi, beef jerky, and ice cream. See what it comes up with. Just for fun. That's just Iron Chef, but without the person, Charlie. Right. There you go. There you go. Let All right, we're going to transition to something that the two of you saw brought to my attention this week that I'm kind of now getting my head around, but I hadn't really seen this the way that you've seen it. And that's the fact that we might be on the precipice of some grocery wars again. So tell us what you're seeing and more importantly, what does it mean? Yeah, I'll start. But I mean, Susan is probably even closer to this than me. I mean, this, the idea that, you know, with, through the pandemic, and then now we're, we're definitely starting to see, well, a couple things impact. Well, inflation, it's still there, even though we've seen a little bit of softening. Uh, supply chain, again, softening and all that. And just the idea that um, the, the, the conglomerates of, of, you know, grocers are starting to, you know, there's a lot of M&A going on. Mm -hmm. And so you put all that together and you're starting to see a lot more competition. And in the grocery business, the margins are very thin. Um, some of the, the, the margins they do get are from the manufacturers and trying to get the manufacturers to kind of, you know, uh, pay it forward in a sense. So all, you put all that together and what you're starting to see is you're starting to see, um, uh, you know, less, again, to speak to it, less fat in the system and a desire that they, they're going to have to fight for the consumer uh, dollar. 
And then on top of that, you're starting to see a lot more of this digital relationship um, becoming to the forefront when it comes to consumers. Who is going to own that consumer relationship, which equals more data? And one of the things that uh, the three of us were chatting with about offline that I think is really important is the potential end of blanket uh, couponing. In fact, just today, I read that Kroger is getting rid of the circular. They're no longer wow. going to do coupon circulars, which shows you that digital uh, personalized value is going to be the future because you're able to give people a personalized coupon and not give a blanket coupon. So you're really starting to see some smart use of data and relationships in order to get those margins better. That's no, fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Charlie. No, 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 go ahead. Susan, you're the expert here. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, it, Kroger has the data to do it. They're not the only ones that have the deep expertise in the data to do it. Um, I live in the upper Midwest. I live very close to, to Meyer is my main grocery store. And they send me, ironically, through the mail, Kevin, coupons. For now. Highly, highly personalized. However, I can go on the app. Ah, clip them digitally. Yeah. Right. So they're basically just sending me the discount rather than putting it on the shelf on TPR or yeah. setting up a feature or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I find that that pretty fascinating. But I think what's interesting about this is that um, the margins are squeezed. Mm -hmm. um, the consumer really blames the retailers. Yep. And believes they're price gouging when they're not. So they're getting a bad rap. Yeah. And the consumer is, of course, um, you know, leaning on dollar, leaning on club. It's traditional grocery that's bore the brunt of this in terms of losing trips. Right. And so I think your point to they need to have a highly personalized relationship with the shopper. Is, and be available to them in different digital convenient ways is going to be ever more important because just from um, a regular get in the car and go go somewhere and try and uh, navigate a, a, a shrinking food budget, um, they're they're losing right now. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think the consumer will be the one to win out of this. But I think from a manufacturer point of view, what you're really going to see, and from a retailer point of view, is you're really going to see that continued battle for better and closer relationships with the consumer in order to gather their data and to become their go-to. Um, that'll be the, that is definitely the future from now on. Yep. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, we'll keep an eye on grocery wars and uh, kind of how that evolves over the next several months. And we may come back and revisit that topic yeah, in the three grocery squares. and media wars, Charlie. Because oh, really grocery is, and media. What do we call it? Atomized shop, atomized yes. advertising. Yeah, yeah, atomized wow. value, atomized shop. Yeah, all Everything. of that. It's right to the consumer. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. All right, it is time for the quiz. Oh, what's the topic? Yeah, Kevin, what are we quizzing about wait. today? Well, I think we've talked about something similar before, but I continually, because warm weather is happening, I keep thinking about barbecuing and picnicking and all well, that kind of stuff. Maybe for you. So, yes. I don't know. I mean, yes, yes. Oh, I've happened to have been in warm weather this week, so I'm thinking okay. about that. So I thought, right. we'd, thought we'd do a little bit of a, a little quiz on things, all things, uh, you know, uh, cooking outdoors, cooking, picnicking, that kind of stuff. Is this nice. about hot dogs? There is a hot dog question. Okay. There. Okay. All right. So my first question is, this is a kind of a fun one. And I, I probably, my French is not very good. What French word 
is used to describe grill marks on food. So you're familiar, you know, you know, when you grill out, you get grill marks. There's a French, of course, there's a French word for that. Le is black it mark? Right. That's it. <laughs> I know you have to ask. Uh, is it viande brulee? Is it quadrillage? Is it, I can't even pronounce this, cicatrice? Or is it flamme? I'm going to go with quadrillage, and I have no idea why. Okay. So viande is meat. Cicatrice, mm -hmm. I thought, was a cut. Mm -hmm. And what was it flambe? I'm going to say flambe because that's fine. Nope. Charlie's right. Quadrage is the, it's like a, a square. Like oh. the, hmm. It makes squares. You're right about viande brulee, which means burnt meat. So I made that up. And <laughs> the other one, it means scarring. Scar. I made that okay, up not as a well. Cut. Yeah, oh, scar. But wow. see, I tried to trick you. See, um, your your knowledge of French kind of tripped you up. <laughs> that was four years of high school and two and 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 a year of college. See, see I keep uh, telling you, it, it pays to be ignorant. So there you go. <laughs> one for Charlie. One for Charlie. To be ignorant. All right, number two. Which president threw the first cookout at the White House? Was it A. Thomas Jefferson, B. Calvin Coolidge, C. Um, LBJ? Or D, Bill Clinton. LBJ, he's the Texan. first cookout. Yeah. First cookout. Yeah. I'm going LBJ. You got Jefferson, Coolidge, Coolidge LBJ, and Clinton. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Jefferson. It's LBJ. Susan's wow. right. Boy, no. Yeah, he How did. How did you he know threw... this, Miss Susan? Just because he's from Texas, he thought that'd be the thing. Texas. Yeah. Hope he didn't have those boring pinto beans in water. I just, I still don't get that in terms of <laughs> why you would include that. Oh, if I'm Texas pretty, barbecue, if, you get you get pinto beans in warm pinto beans. Yeah, really. Well, yeah, yeah. And it has a flavor of wallboard. I mean, unless you put oh. something else on it or in it, right? It's I mean, like I seem to remember. I seem to remember that he's the one. Uh, him and his wife are the ones that made Rotel tomatoes popular in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah, if I remember that correctly, he's the I one that Rotel they really tomatoes. brought Rotel into into big yeah, prominence. But that okay. was before with before they were combined with Belvedere or after or was it? I that think it was before. Before, was okay. Before. Yeah. yeah. All right. Excellent. If you were if you were combining them, you were doing it at home for our ah. fancy combination. Yeah. Got it. All right. Number three. You guys are tied. You guys are tied. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Here you, here's a hot dog question. The brand Oscar Mayer, mm -hmm. home of the famed hot dog, was originally called what German Swiss name? Was it Edelweiss? Matterhorn? Wait, 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 wait. The, the hot dog was called this name the, or the, the company? The company. The company. The company. The company. The company. So it, it was it's it was it was at one point called Oscar Mayer Meats, but before Oscar Mayer Meats, it was called what? Edelweiss, Matterhorn, Daniel, You can't look on your phone, Susan. You can't Alpine. be Googling. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm laughing okay. about Matterhorn. <laughs> you keep interrupting. Danube? What was the other one? Edelweiss, Matterhorn, Danube, or Alpine? Alpine. Charlie? I'm going to go with Matterhorn. You're both wrong. It's Edelweiss. Oh. Edelweiss. Edelweiss Meat Austrian Company. To me, more Austrian. It hmm. was. It was the idea that uh, he wanted his his company to be because the flowers only grow at the high levels of the mountains. He wanted them to be the highest level of, oh. of quality. Yes. Also, Oscar Mayer was really big. He was one of the first uh, meat make meat packers that actually really embraced the whole food, uh, pure food and drug act. So that was wow. Cool. Oh, interesting. Did you, did uh, he know that his bologna had a first name and a second name? Did he know that? I don't know. He probably did. He's probably pretty close to it. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> cool. Number four. All right. He's still tied. What does the 57 on Heinz ketchup stand for? 
Is it A, the company at the time sold 57 products? Is it B, the company's 57 employees at the time? C, there were 57 known varieties of ketchup? Or D, the founder thought 57 was a lucky number? C. You're saying there was 57 varieties of ketchup? Yeah. Okay. Susan? Well, so I'm trying to imagine the packaging. It is Heinz 57, and I thought there was varieties involved, but I can't believe they made 57 varieties of ketchup. I mean, that would be my first guess, and I can't say what Charlie's going to So say. the company sold 57 products, 57 employees, 57 varieties of ketchup, or lucky number? It's not the lucky number. I'm going to go with 57 products. It's the lucky number. No. Yeah. He thought it was a lucky number. He just thought he just like the word, like the number 57. Get out. Yeah. They had over 60 products at the time. So oh. it had nothing to do with the, had nothing I, to I, do I, thought, the I thought I talked about the varieties on the label. We actually used quite a bit of that growing up because the cuts of meat we could buy, the, the steaks we bought were really bad. <laughs> right. So it went well. With so we covered them up with Heinz 57. <laughs> Well, I have a 12 year old, so you know how heavy our ketchup usage is. Oh, yeah. 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 But Heinz 57 was like gourmet. Did I tell you my, my, my MPD hot dog story? It's very quick, I'll tell you. Yeah. So, go. Okay. So, we've been tracking for 40 years how people eat their food and what they put on their food. So, like, what do you put on your hot dog? I can tell you, like, those things, right? What's yep. the number one thing that kids put on hot dogs? Ketchup. 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 So yeah. we had a bring your kids to, this was like 10 years ago. We had a bring your kid to work day. My kid was there and we had like a Chicago hot dog. Bar. Oh, you can't put ketchup. Can't on. put ketchup on a hot dog. There was no ketchup. We no, did it's, like, it's, it's illegal. Like, oh, it's actually, it, a, it's a, it was it, mutiny. Like yeah. our office manager had to run out and get yes. ketchup. Yeah, well, there's, there's like, an order. How do we you not know this? On a, on a hot dog I, know, I grew up in Chicago. And so you, I know that. You can put yeah. pick a lily. You can put. Hot peppers and all that. Kids don't eat yeah. that on their I hot dog. Know, but you cannot put That's for adults in Chicago. Yeah. Kids yeah. want ketchup on their hot dog. Yeah. And it's a poppy seed roll too. Yeah. yeah. There yeah, were yeah, a yeah. lot of problems. You get those we at the- complicated um, well, it. I used to get those at the at the, the stands in at the at O'Hare, right? Yeah. I can't remember the name right. of the Vienna hot dog stand. I think that's yeah. what it was. When you well, there could have been Portillo's. Maybe Portillo's. Could Might have been. Been. But you had a little pepper in there and you had the yeah, relish and you had the hot mustard and whatever. one on every corner. I mean, there's- Poppy seed roll, but no ketchup. No ketchup. Doug's right. dogs won't even give you ketchup for your fries. Don't. All right. Last question. You can still try. Okay. All, right. All right. All right. What percentage of Americans own a grill? Oh, Is it gosh. I should know this. 25%. Wait, you know, where did you get your, what's your data source? Because uh, we track this. <laughs> I have to look source, up. It's from, it's from 2020. I, I have it. I don't have it on this page, but I have it. Okay. It's from 2020. I know Wait, that. what kind of grill? Stop already. A grill. grill. They have, I a, have grill. a grill of some Indoor, kind. outdoor, countertop, outdoor, gas, charcoal? Outdoor. Outdoor, outdoor okay. gas, or charcoal. Okay. 25 percent, 52%, 64%, 82%. 52. 64. 64. Damn it. Yes. Charlie's right. I'm going to double check your data. You can double check my data. You know what just released today? I'll tell you what just released today. 2023 kitchen audit. Which okay. is every appliance, indoor, outdoor that you own. I'm well, there you go. It, this this is going to come down to that data source then, because that's what that's the thing. So double check that. <laughs> I'll be texting you all shortly. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us for another edition, the April edition of Three Squares. We hope that you will continue to join us. And if you would like to give us feedback to improve our artificial intelligence, 
You can send us an email at three squares mail, the numeral three squares mail at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Three Squares. Kevin, Susan, thank you so much. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 